What a joy to be here again. And I feel like coming back home, you know. And uh, I want to greet every one of you sitting here in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The name that is above every name. Amen. Say that with me. Jesus. Jesus. The, name the name above every name. Above every name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what a privilege we all have to love Jesus, to have experienced his love. And most importantly, the most dynamic thing of being a believer is that on a daily basis, you and I are being transformed into the victorious image of Jesus Christ. That is the plan of God. Our salvation is just the first step. But there is something happening every day. Now, we are dealing with, um, you know, schedules. We are dealing with uh, appointments. We are dealing with projects that need to get done. There's always a race against time. But in the midst of all that, Almighty God has already purposed to do something. And what is that something that every one of us will be more like Jesus? Now, this is a very important thing that we need to realize. This is God's design. It's like, um, say you have a child, five years old, and you want this child to learn playing uh, piano or organ or keyboard. They're not much interested because they want to get out there and play. But if you can take the child to Carnegie Hall and and that child sits there in the front row and watches somebody play with such accomplishment, the piano. You're giving a vision. There is a expectation. There is a vision. Perhaps I can sit there and play like that. And that's what God is doing. See, the decision to make us like him was already done before the foundation of the earth. So in eternity past, in Romans chapter 8, it says that God has already made the decision to transform each one of us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a new thing. This is not something God thought about. Yeah, I need to do something with these people who are born again. No, no, no. This is a decision he made. This has always been his plan for each one of us long before we were born in this earth. And the Bible also says that when he comes, we will be just like him. So the perfection happens when he comes. Isn't this wonderful? So the, in eternity past, the decision was made. And in eternity future, it is going to be fulfilled. Everyone sitting here, we will be like him. Come on, everybody with a big smile, say this with me. When Jesus comes, when I see him, I will be just like him. You know, you said it. That was wonderful. But there needs to be this explosive joy. All right? We're not talking about some, you know, some little person. We're talking about the resurrected Jesus Christ. 
We're talking about someone who's right now seated on the right hand of God. We are talking about someone from whom the love of God flowed so freely. That's why we are all born again. We are talking about someone who gave his life for us. We are talking about someone who is seated on the right hand of God. And he says, all things, everything the Father has put under my feet. Every name, every power, authority, dominion is under my feet. In this age and in the age to come. Being transformed into his image. An unlimited God's image. But so what happens in between these two things? We are living this life. There are ups, there are downs, there are times when we are joyful. There are times when we are ready. There are days when the alarm goes off. You are like, oh no, I got to wake up. <laughs> I just wish... <laughs> You know, we have times like that. There are days you feel like you just cannot get enough coffee, you know. Uh, but we all go through that. You know, we are made, you know, from the dust of this earth. Even the Bible says we are earthen vessels. But the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that as we keep on looking at the word of God, here is the key. Where do we find Jesus today? Not in Jerusalem. Nothing wrong going visiting the Holy Land. You know, you all have money, do it. <laughs> you can enjoy some hot weather. And <laughs> but, but the point is, where do we find Jesus today? Where can you and I meet Jesus? In the Word. It's in our hand. It's in many ways in our hand. It's in our, each of our homes have many Bibles. Physical Bibles, many different versions. You have smartphone. You probably have already downloaded one or two apps with all sorts of Bibles, English and about a hundred other languages. We have it. One man said, if all of the believers will take their Bibles out at the same time and blow the dust off, there will be a sandstorm. Meaning that we are not looking at the word of God, you know, as much as we should. Now, this is not to condemn everybody. This is to encourage. Why? Because the more we look in the, into the word of God, something happens. We are being transformed into in ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the plan of God. So I encourage you this morning, first and foremost, please... Look at the Word of God. Even if it's just 10 scriptures, we need to read it. We need to hear the Word. We need to read the Word. Get a pencil and paper or a notebook and write the things God shows you. That is studying the Word. And definitely we all should be memorizing the Word of God. Because only with the Word of God can you and I overcome every temptation that comes in this life. That's the devil's full-time job, to come and tempt us. He's always ready. He's so ready, he was even bold enough to go tempt Jesus Christ. After Jesus fasted for 40 days, you know, he should know this man is just oozing with the power of God. But he goes to Jesus and tempts him. And how did Jesus deal with him? He didn't give him a lecture. He just quoted Old Testament scriptures. So how did he do that? 
He could have easily said, hey, I'm the son of God. Don't you know I'm the word? I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to memorize. He not only read, he also memorized. Because he memorized, the Holy Spirit was able to identify which scripture he should use to confront the devil. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He said that. How did he know that? Because he was fully God. He was fully man like you and me. He had to go and read the law, the first five books that Moses wrote and the prophets in order for him to intake or, or consume the word of God. And this is a very crucial point for all of our lives. We do not have the luxury of not reading the word. See, hearing the word is the least, uh, is the easiest way. And we can always turn it on on our device. The second difficult stage is reading. You have to physically open and read. And even Jesus would ask the Pharisees, have you not read? Have you not read? That means there's an expectation from Jesus that we should read. And then we memorize scriptures. Jesus memorized scriptures. Because if the scripture is not inside us, then we cannot use the scriptures to overcome the devil. We will continually experience defeat and failure in the hands of the enemy. That's what the Bible teaches us. And the example of Jesus. And finally, you know, we are to meditate on the word. How many of you, no, maybe I shouldn't ask this question. Many of us have had struggle, not struggle, challenge praying. You start praying and you get distracted. All of a sudden, all the things you have to do comes in your mind. And all of a sudden, you realize somebody you didn't call yesterday. Well, let me just make that one call. Or you kneel down, you start praying. Your mind is going everywhere but prayer. This is not an uncommon problem. This is a problem believers have across the world. And you and I are not an exception. Now, would you like to have a strong prayer life? Yeah. Only three people. <laughs> Come on. Would you like to have a powerful prayer life, an exciting prayer life? Yes. Here's the key. The key is meditating on the word. That is the key. It doesn't matter what portion of the Bible you read. Even if you read only five scriptures, that's good. S stop. Go through it line by line, word by word. And tell the Holy Spirit who is living right inside. He's not far away. He's right here. And ask him, Lord, teach me, show me. And different things would come out, would stand out. Like the scripture we quoted over your pastors this morning that God says he will strengthen and reinforce. Now how powerful words they are. We know what strengthening is. We know what reinforcing something is. If you had a deck falling apart, you know, you know what to do. You know, reinforce certain beams there so that nobody goes down. But God is saying he wants to reinforce our inner man. How great. You know, how many hours have we spent worrying? How many hours did we feel like, why am I alive in this world? How many hours have we wasted, you know, thinking about all the negative things? 
Can you imagine being reinforced and strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit? That there is victory in our thought process. There is victory in your emotions. There are victory, you know, some people, hormonal issues. You, you can have victory even there. If you have a challenge, daydreaming, you know, you're sitting at work, you're not able to focus, you're thinking of Boone or, you know, Myrtle Beach, you know, you have a challenge and you can have a, a, a decisive mind. And how does that happen? If you, will, you and I will take time and meditate what we are reading and then you kneel down and you start praying exactly what you read. Now you and I have content for our prayer. We are not repeating the same thing. We don't have to grasp in thin air, hey, something I need to pray. Some people run out of everything they want to say in two minutes and wonder how somebody else prays an hour. But you see, God has already provided so this is an encouragement to you because God's desires that we be strong. We be strong because he needs us to be strong. He's empowering us to be strong because there is a purpose for all of this. So I encourage you, try it. You take even five scriptures, begin to meditate on it. And then pray line by line. And as you begin to pray, God will open your heart to more things to pray. And then you have not prayed only five minutes. You have been 10 minutes already. And 10 minutes becomes 15 minutes. 15 minutes become half hour. And one day you're praying is over an hour. And you're wondering, oh, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm still not done. See? Time with Jesus. His word. We are praying his word. His authority. His power. It begins to come inside us. So we don't have have a reason to be weak in our lives anymore it's never the plan of God that he should suffer so much and die for us and rise again on the third day and defeat the devil so that we can live with weakness and defeat and excuse in our lives rather his desire is that you and I will be more than conquerors hallelujah all right, so that is just like a little uh, intro that I didn't plan, but <laughs> thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for the harvest field that we are involved in. We really need your prayers, so please be praying with us. And you are partners with us because, you know, the harvest is not just ours, it's all of ours. You know, it's like you go into the bank and you see $10,000 deposited there. How about 10,000 souls in there? Except in the bank of heaven. All right, so please be praying with us. Amen. Here is a question that the Holy Spirit would like us to dwell upon this morning. How are we useful to the Lord? How are we useful to the Lord? I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking. And this is one of the last Beatitudes. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. Say that with me. I am the salt of the earth. What an interesting line. You know, we are all familiar with salt. Now we are wondering, why would Jesus use this terminology? 
you are the salt of the earth. Here Jesus is not only speaking to those who are listening to him on that day and the disciples, but he is speaking to everyone who has received him as their Lord and Savior and who acknowledge the authority of God's word. If you do not acknowledge the authority of God's word, then we are going to lose it all. That is, we have as believers, we must acknowledge the authority of God's word. I, it's not my word you need to believe. It is what God says. After this day, you should go and look at the Bible to see if this is exactly what God says. We are to be committed and submitted to the word of God, not to any voice, but to the voice of the one who laid his life down for each one of us. So how is salt useful? That's the question. How is salt useful? Now, there are two usefulness of salt. One, salt gives taste and flavor. You can have the most wonderful roast beef on the table and then that gravy comes and if there's no salt in it, it's not going to be that great. You know, people are going to be looking for the salt. Right? So salt, the first usefulness of salt, it gives flavor and it gives taste. And the second usefulness of salt is that it restrains decay or corruption. These are the two very familiar uses for salt. And that's why Jesus is using this statement and he says, you are the salt of the earth and is comparing us to the, these two wonderful properties of salt. So let's focus on the first one. Salt gives flavor and taste. Like salt, our lives bring flavor and taste to God. When the Lord looks at you, we are not just some bland thing. There is, some, there is an incredible flavor and taste to each one of us. Bland, unappetizing food becomes very appetizing with a little salt on it. And this is so true that Job asked this question in Job chapter 6 verse 6. It says, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? So we see that the presence of salt makes the difference, causing us to enjoy food that we would have otherwise refused to eat. Presence of salt. Our presence on this earth makes a difference. Our presence not only makes this earth acceptable to God, but releases God's grace and mercy wherever we are living. This city is designed and destined for God's continuous love to be poured upon and His grace and His mercy because of you. You are the reason. Because our God has a desire. He wants people to come to know him and grow in him and become more like him. And there is a big role. So when the next time you think, what am I doing in this world? That's a lie from the devil. And you and I should reject such questions, such demonic lies and say, I am the salt of the earth. 
And I am flavorful to God. And God has me so that I can bring taste and flavor to God. And not only that, it brings the grace of God and mercy of God right here in my home, in my neighborhood, in my city, and for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do right here. Everybody say, my presence makes the difference. Oh, you need to smile. This is good stuff. My presence makes the difference. Now, people in your home could have said something negative about you. You know, in this world, there are people who would say all sorts of mean things. But our mind should not be colored by what they say. Our minds should be renewed by the word of God. What is God saying? He says, your life makes the difference. I have you in the right place. We are not in the wrong place. We were born in the right place. We are living in the right place. Because the place where you and I are geographically located is the place that we are functioning as salt, bringing flavor to God and commending or lifting the earth to God for his flavor, for his mercy and for his grace. Now, this principle is clearly illustrated. Remember the time that Abraham interceded for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God comes to visit Abraham. Abraham is in a tent. It was hot. All of a sudden, he looks out of the tent, and there are three men standing there. He thinks they are just travelers. He tells them, please come into my home, begs them to come, you know, feeds them one of the finest you know, roast beef available in his flock. And you know, if you should read it, somebody feeding God steak, you know, this is great. <laughs> and it says a fattened calf. Not mark that word now. Some people have a problem with that. But <laughs> now, <laughs> not only did he do that, and you know, he entertains God, not knowing it's God. But pretty soon, staying there, he realizes this is not an ordinary visitor. So after they eat, they say, We're going to leave. So two of the men leave. They keep walking away towards the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But God lingers. And Abraham begins to walk with God. And the Lord tells himself, what I'm going to do, should I not tell my friend Abraham? And so God tells him, I am going to go and visit Sodom to see if the sinfulness of the city has reached the level so that divine judgment is warranted. He wants to go see if the sinfulness of the city that he has heard of has really reached the level that will warrant divine judgment. So there is Abraham standing there in front of him. He doesn't say anything, but he is pondering this. And then in a very reverential way, he begins to reason with God about how the city of Sodom could be, could, could, uh, could be prevented from experiencing divine judgment. Now, when, now, we are talking about divine judgment, so we need to properly understand this. Divine judgment is based on an important principle established by God. What is this principle? It is never the will of God that judgment due on the wicked should come upon the righteous. It's never the will of God 
for the judgment reserved for the wicked to come upon the righteous. Because in verse 23, Genesis chapter 18, verse 23, Abram asked this question, Lord, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from you to do such a thing like this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as wicked. Far be it from you, Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He speaks with great reverence and perseverance. And in response, God makes it very clear to Abraham that he accepts that principle. He, you know, I think God was so amazed that this man discerned that and he's bringing it to him and God accepts it and finally promises him that the judgment that's going to come upon the wicked will not come upon the righteous also. Our presence makes the difference. Now at this juncture, we need to look at two more biblical truths because we are not talking about the judgment of God. First, the scripture teaches persecution for righteousness sake. Persecution for righteousness sake. This is a biblical truth. If you and I have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are clothed with the righteousness of God and we are with the help of the Holy Spirit pursuing a righteous life, we will be persecuted. The second thing that the Bible teaches is judgment from the living God who is righteous comes upon the wicked. So there are two separate things. We should never conflate this. One, those who are godly, those who are righteous, yes, will be persecuted. Second, divine judgment comes upon the wicked from a righteous God. It's two separate things. And the Bible teaches us that believers in Jesus Christ must expect to be persecuted. Now, this is kind of a challenging for us, but it is true. Why? Because Jesus said it. It's not my opinion. It is, the, it is what our Lord has taught us. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, listen to these amazing words. Starts with, these, with this amazing word, powerful word, blessed. Everybody say blessed. Anybody wants to be blessed? One, two, three. Oh, okay, everybody, okay. How about that wonderful husband and wife? Do you want to be blessed? Yes. Okay, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. He says, you have the kingdom if you are being persecuted. And then he goes on to say, second blessing. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Revile means verbally you are abused and harassed. And persecute means you are being locked up or physically beaten and things like that. It says, blessed are you when, you, when they, that is, the forces of darkness, people inspired by the devil, revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And God says, in both circumstances, we are the ones who are blessed. And similarly, when God tells Paul, the Apostle Paul, to write to Timothy when he's 
going through persecution. Persecution has broken out in the city of Ephesus. There's the, the largest church at the time that Paul had established. People are running away. People are being arrested. You know, you don't know whether when you walk out, you'll come back home again. And, you know, here is Timothy himself wondering when he's going to get arrested. And here Paul says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So now we are distinguishing two things. Persecution for the sake of righteousness, but judgment of God against the wicked. Believers in Christ, all of us, we must prepare ourselves to endure persecution for our faith. For living according to God's commands. And we are called by Jesus to count this as a privilege. Because it goes so against how we think but never underestimate the presence of the holy spirit inside you because in the midst of you walking through the fire you are positioning you and i are positioning ourselves to experience some of the greatest manifestation of the power of god and demonstration of miracles that's the wonderful thing about our god now, at the same time, we need to also know that believers are never included in God's judgments upon the wicked. That's a separate thing. We should never confuse these two things. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, God is inspiring the apostle Paul to say this. But when we Christians, our believers, are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Remember, we are God's children. Every parent who has had a child knows that we have to love our children, instruct our children, pray with our children, and discipline our children. There is no way around it. We had seven. And you and I are not to be bound by the standards of the world. Because one day we will stand before God and God will ask you, why didn't you discipline your child? And what are we going to tell him? We were afraid of so-and-so. So. We have a responsibility to raise our children. We have to pray for our children. Sometimes it may take fasting. You do it. You speak God's word over your child. You have the active help of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to help you and I to raise our children. We speak life over them. But when they are young, don't hesitate to also discipline. Because God, the Bible says, He chastens us. When we start straying this way or that way, His chastening will come because the Bible says he is like our heavenly father and he loves us if he didn't love us he will not chasten us and we need to be alert to that and immediately submit ourselves to God now I want to give you another example in the book of Exodus chapter uh, between chapter 7 and 12 the book of Exodus between chapter 7 through 12 we read about all the different plagues that came upon Egyptians with increasing severity 
Every plague was built on the other one, the previous one. And it became very intense. But Exodus chapter 11 verse 7 says, But against none of the children of Israel, this is God saying, But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move his tongue. Against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Hallelujah. How awesome. There is a difference between a child of God and one who is not. And the difference is so obvious even a stray dog knows you are a child of God. And it cannot bite you or come around you. That's exactly what God says. Somebody say, I make a difference. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm useful to God. Judgment did not come upon Israel because God made the difference between his people and the people of Israel and the people of Egypt. And this difference is still in existence today. This is a force that's operating right now. There is a difference between you and an unbeliever. And nobody can touch you because you're God's property but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now going back to Abraham, you know, Abraham, what a great guy. He, you know, he's negotiating with God. Starts, you know, he's trying to see what number he can get from God so that this divine judgment doesn't come upon Sodom. He starts with 50 and with perseverance and reverence works it down all the way to 10. You know, I really think Abram thought Lot has been gone to Sodom over 10, 15 years. It's Lot, his wife, his two daughters, if they are married, the six, you know, those people also would come to have known the Lord, the son-in-laws. And then maybe four more people, business associates, you know. So he's just trying to think, you know, the ten. Now, how many is enough? Now, there is no, you know, here's a question. We, does anyone know, do we know what's the population of Sodom? The Bible doesn't give us an exact figure. But scholars have looked through other cities of similar size in, in Canaan and have come with a rough estimate thinking that maybe there were approximately 10,000 people in Sodom. So in other words, God is saying, if there are 10 righteous, I will save the 10,000 from experiencing divine judgment. One for every thousand. I don't know. You know. This is not a hard and fast rule. This is not something we have to put our faith in. But all I'm saying is, on that day, the ratio was one to a thousand. One righteous man or person is sufficient to plead with God for 10,000 non-righteous people not to experience divine judgment, but to have little more time so that the Spirit of God can deal with them. Isn't that amazing? This is what God has in mind. We are here in this earth for a purpose and for a divine reason. We are the salt of the earth. We bring flavor to God. And your presence literally is the reason 
why divine judgment hasn't fallen upon certain parts of the earth or where we are. And we are to believe God for the salvation of our city, our state, and our, our street and neighborhood. We're not just to say, okay, yeah, that's good. No, no, no. There's a reason. God's telling you and me, you're bringing flavor. You're my salt. Pray. Believe. Look for an opportunity to tell people about Christ. Now, this brings us to the second usefulness of salt. That is, it salt restrains corruption. Remember, that in those days, there were great explorers who sailed the oceans to find new land and trade routes. And one of the food items they took was meat, except it was heavily salted. Why? There was no refrigeration, and salt restrained the decay and the corruption of the meat. Now, the decay had already set in. Once the animal was killed, the decay was already there, but it was slowed. It was restrained for a certain number of days or months that that meat was still edible. And after that, it cannot. The same way, from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, sin has entered in the world. There is corruption already at work. It's happening everywhere. We see it all around us. Every system of this world has been corrupted by the devil. The education system, the financial system, the morality. You know, it doesn't matter which area of the politics. Everywhere you turn, the entertainment, it doesn't matter which area you look at it, you know there is corruption there. That's why as believers, we cannot enjoy many things that other people enjoy because we don't want to partake of corruption. Rather, God says, I have made provision for you to partake of my divine nature. That's the wonderful blessing we have. We can partake of the divine nature of God. So our presence on this earth as believers is like salt on the meat. We are here so that the process of corruption, even though it's already in process, it's being restrained, it's being resisted, it's being held back until, until the work of the Holy Spirit is over. Two things the Holy Spirit wants to get done. One, he wants to touch the hearts of as many people as possible so they too can receive the love of Christ and escape eternal destruction. The second thing is he's working on us because you and I are going to be that perfect bride for Jesus Christ. Every spot and wrinkle is going to be removed. Everything in our lives that's not of God is going to be removed. And that work is going to be accomplished at some particular time. We do not know when. That's why we don't put faith in people who say, Oh, I calculated it. Christ is coming on this day. Don't believe that. None of us know that. And they don't know that either. It's not going to be revealed to anybody. Only the Father knows. But the work of the Holy Spirit is going on. And at a particular time, he is going to be removed. And when he leaves this earth, he is taking the bride of Christ with him. And that's the point when the corruption goes to destruction. That's the time when the Antichrist is going to be revealed. 
So this illustration about the salt, God uses the Apostle Paul to explain it this way. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you have time at home, please read it between verses 3 and 12. In verse 3, the Bible says, The men of sin or lawlessness or the son of perdition will be manifested. When? After the Holy Spirit is removed. And not only that, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, this person is called the Antichrist. In Revelation 13, 4, he's called the beast. He's a ruler, a human being, empowered by demonic power and presence, who will claim to be God and demand universal worship. That's who that person is. And that is the end. That's when corruption reaches its ultimate proportion and place. But until then, we have a role. We have a role. We are not to look at a teaching like this because the Bible makes it very clear that the lawless one will be revealed. The Bible is very clear. This is not our imagination. This is what God's plan is. But we are not to look at this and say, oh no, things are only going to go bad. You know, already we can look at the news and different places, different circumstances, and see how things that are wicked and perverted and demonic are being glorified, and we know this is wrong. But we are not to settle with a pessimistic mindset. We are not to embrace defeat. We are not to think that nothing can be done. We are not to just accept it as it is. God says, you are the salt of the earth and I have placed you in this earth so that the decay can be restrained, limited, held back until the time that I have set. So if we have settled in our hearts and minds with a spirit of defeat or a mental attitude of defeat and despair and passivity and fatalism, now is the time to command it to get out of us in the name of Jesus. That is not the reason why Jesus died on the cross and gave his life for us so that we can walk around defeated. And wring our hands with the rest of the people say, you know, I know, did you read that? That's really bad. <laughs> what God is looking at for are people who have understood what he has done. And see that they are here for a divine purpose. As long as my heartbeat is there, I am to resist the wickedness of the devil and the spirit of Antichrist with the power of the living God and the authority of God's word. You, you, are, you know, you're living here. God has placed you in the Gaston County for a divine purpose. There may be problems with drugs. There may be problems with lawlessness. There could be all sorts of issues here. Things that you nobody would have mentioned before as publicly demonstrated. But we don't look at it and lose heart. Rather we say in the name of Jesus. I am the salt here. Salt may be just a few sprinkles here and there. A few grains. But we are effective. And when we pray. 
God will answer because he wants us to pray. He wants us to resist. He wants us to rise up in, in the realm of prayer and stand against every demonic force that is rising up against his plan and purpose. He's not going to send angels to do it. He has you. He has me. Hallelujah. Now, how are we going to do that? What is, how do we restrain? You know, I'm a human being. Some days I feel like I can conquer the world. Next day I don't feel so good. The good news is we have the Holy Spirit right now living inside us. Are you a born again believer? Yes. Then the Spirit of God is inside you. Christ has come to live inside you and me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now that's just the initial thing. There's one more thing. That's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm urging you, if you came from a background where that was never taught or you have questions about it, real simple. Go to the book of Acts and just start reading. You don't need my help. You don't need any other book, tape, whatever it is. Right there, it is clear. There were 120 people locked up in the upper room. They went there because Jesus told them to stay there until they are clothed with power from on high. And Jesus told them there is a promised gift from the Father. And you will receive power. What power? The same power that was in his life. The same power that he demonstrated before them again and again and again. He said you will have that same power inside you. Only then you can be my witnesses. And it is not just for the time of, of the early church. No, there are such teachings out there. There are theologians who have written great commentaries like that. That is not the case. Why would God want just a one generation to be filled with power and the rest of us to scrape the bottom? That power has been released for you and me. Why? So that we, like Peter, can also say, silver and gold I do not have, but there is something I have I can give to you, and you, drug addict, be delivered now in the name of Jesus. If a man born crippled, who is almost 40 years old, can be strengthened and rise up and begin to leap and run, that same power is inside you and me. If you See, this is how it is. If I ask BJ, are you married? The answer is yes. It's not maybe. I remember on this day, 20 years ago. No, he can't say things like that. It's very clear. You either have it or don't have it. Now, in your heart, you will know because the Holy Spirit will talk to you. My son, my daughter, come, take time. Be with me. I have something I want to pour inside you. Not just one time. I'll pour it every day. Many times a day. And you'll be full of the Holy Ghost. So that you can be my witness. For the first time. You and I will experience an absence of fear in our lives. It's such a beautiful thing. To have absence of fear. To have absence of doubt. To be able to believe God for anything. 
because something greater than you, your limited mind and experience and what you've seen in life is operating inside you. It is divine. It is not based on whether you feel strong that day or weak that day or if everything went well that day or everything collapsed that day. Something rises inside you and says, such as I have, give I unto you. That's the power. He is the restraining force because he has taken possession of this natural body. Because the word of God says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? An earlier scripture, just two, three scriptures before that says, the body was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Our body was made for one purpose, for the Spirit of God to dwell in us. Not for arthritis, not for all these negative things, not for despair and, and confusion and negativity. Our bodies were made for the Spirit of God to dwell in. And that's why we do not lose the flavor or savor or taste of salt. We always have that savor because the spirit of God is inside us. The spirit of God drives us to his word. We consume the word. We intake the word. We begin to pray that word. And we are being changed every day to be like Christ-like. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say, I'm the salt of this earth. And this is the great ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number one, he's trying to reach people who need to be saved. Number two, he's working on me and he's working on you. So that we can be that perfect body of Christ. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So living inside us, empowering us, this body, all of us, individually and collectively, we are restraining, we are stopping, we are holding back the corruption of sin and lawlessness and the evil plans of the enemy. It's going to happen until, it says here, he is taken out of the way. Then the Antichrist can come. So right now, this is what's happening right now in this world. On one hand, the spirit of Antichrist is working towards the emergence of Antichrist himself. The spirit of Antichrist is working for the emergence of Antichrist himself. On the other hand, this is the victorious side. You're all ready to shout a hallelujah? Inside the disciples of Jesus Christ, which is you and me, is the Holy Spirit with his unlimited power holding back the emergence of the Antichrist. It's happening right now. Inside you is the Holy Spirit. His unlimited power. Not my physical strength. Not based on what I ate or did not eat. Not my limited natural mind. But His unlimited power. is active. Holding back. Thank you Jesus. When we, the believers, are taken up with the Holy Spirit. That restraint 
of corruption will be removed and the climax of lawlessness and the emergence of the Holy Spirit will be witnessed in this earth and we will be out of the way. Hallelujah. So two things again. First, our presence causes God to continue to pour his grace and mercy upon this earth. Second, by the power of the... Oh, I think we should say it together. Say this after me. First, uh, only half. Lord Jesus, I pray for joy attack here. Some people have a heart attack. You need a joy attack. <laughs> All right. First, my presence causes God to pour his grace and his mercy upon this earth. Are you ready for number two? Second, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside me, I am resisting, restraining the forces of corruption and lawlessness until the appointed time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As long as we believers stand firm, say stand firm, stand firm. uncompromised in my faith. Say that. You can say that. <laughs> as long as I stand firm, uncompromised in my faith, operating under the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit. The final manifestation of Antichrist will be withheld. Hallelujah. You don't need to fight fear evil. You don't need to wonder, oh, crime is increasing. You may see images on the television, but you don't drive out just to see if it will happen to you. You pray and say, I bind that demonic spirit right now in Jesus' name. Anybody comes five feet to my car will be slain in the Holy Spirit. And the only way they are getting up is if they are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, is there faith inside you to believe God for that? I want to be numbered among the victors, not the victims. Your victory is not dependent on the laws of this land. Or on some local DA. Why are we so afraid? God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power. Man, they look at you from a distance. They will know this man, this woman is a child of God. And the devil says, I don't want to lose my person now. You can look for carjackers, you cannot find them. Because you have divine protection. When you park your car, where's your faith? On the little locking system or on the presence of God? You should pray, lay hands on Lord, this vehicle you bless me with. I cannot have this if you did not give it to me. I ask for divine protection. If anybody touches it, I'll find them when I come in the morning. And I'll have a captive to preach the gospel to. Because they can't move. Yes. 
We have not because we ask not. Now, here is a sobering word from the Lord. Suppose Satan succeeds because we believers fail to depend on the Holy Spirit and fulfill our responsibility of restraining and holding back. Jesus gives the answer. He says, we become like salt that has lost its savor. Look at his words, Matthew 5, 13. It is then good for nothing. These words, I'm not making up, came out of the mouth of our Lord. He says, such a salt that has lost its savor. That's not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not every day being filled with the word of God. That's not walking in relationship with God. It's a salt with no savor. Such a salt is good for nothing. What does it mean? It means we are rejected by God. And Jesus said, such salt will be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Underfoot by men. Who are these? These are the same godless people who become instruments to bring judgment upon us because we walked away. And that is not the plan of God. The reason he's telling us is what happens if we don't have the savor? You and I have the active divine help of the Holy Spirit to have savor in our lives. We are not going to be thrown out. We are not going to be trampled. Rather, we are going to trample the enemy. That is the plan of God. Hallelujah. So, here the Bible gives us two alternatives. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Say that with me. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's a choice. Either overcome or be overcome. I want to be an overcomer. Because that's what God says I am. Come on, anybody wants to be an overcomer? Now you got to lift your hands with a big smile. Overcoming is joyful. Right? And you can be overcomer right now. Whatever it is the devil is plaguing your mind with, you can be free right now. Your mind should be free right now. Your heart should be free right now. Every, every tree that has grown in there, a fence should be pulled out by the power of God right now. We don't need to walk around with 100 pounds of chain dragging behind us. That's not the plan of God. In all things, thanks be unto God. The Bible says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Overcome or be overcome. There is not a middle place. There's only two options. All of us are overcomers. That is the plan of God. Amen. It's time to take the words of Jesus Christ. This urgency. Because we are living at a time where God is wanting his people to be truly salt of this earth. You are the only one. Wherever you are, in your home, there are people who are not born again. Praise God, you are still there. Because of you, they have been preserved. 
mercy of God has been extended to them. One more day because you are there. You are the salt of the earth. It's time for you and I to pray that God will deliver our family from the wickedness and blindness of the enemy. We resist. We restrain the corruption and decay through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the strength of the Word of God. This is the two things God is driving into us. We have two choices, either overcome or be overcome. And we are not going to be overcome by evil. We will overcome because God says I'm an overcomer and I will be an overcomer because I'm destined for overcoming and because that is God's plan for your life and my life. Hallelujah. Oh boy, the time ran off. Lord loves us. He loves you. It doesn't matter what has happened before. It doesn't even matter what happened this morning. There could have been challenges, upheavals. But I'm here to tell you, God's plan for your life has not changed. You are the salt of this earth. Hallelujah. And I encourage you to look at the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Get scriptures like this deep into your spirit. Breathe it. Live it. Speak it. Keep speaking it. You know, the more you repeat it, it moves from the page into your heart. Now you're standing on a new platform of victory and speaking life over you and over your neighborhood, over your family, over your relatives, over the city. And you and I are the salt of the earth wherever we are living. Amen. Amen. Everybody raise your right hand. Let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you are my God. I am so grateful you love me with an everlasting love. I am so grateful that you planned my life even before the foundation of this earth. I am so grateful that you cleanse me with your blood. Pour your Holy Spirit upon me. Fill me. Saturate me with your unlimited power. I proclaim with my mouth I am the salt of the earth. I am your salt in this earth. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in the mighty name of Jesus, every bondage, every wickedness, every lie, every confusion be destroyed and broken right now. Whatever its name is, whatever shape or form it is operating inside you, it will be broken now. Mind be free in the name of Jesus. Despair, depression, demonic spirits go leave because our bodies are the temple of the holy spirit and every mindset of defeat be removed help us to know in all things we are more than conquerors and i pray your resurrection power the same power that raised you from the dead after three days will flood through our bodies right now i command every sickness and disease whatever its name is to go we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Release your joy. Release your vision and purpose for our lives. And I pray, God, that you will make us more than conquerors. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen. Amen. Yes.
right. Come on. We can do a little better than that for Pastor Roger. Come on. Man, that was awesome. I feel like, uh, are you awake? Right? Like, that was, that was a wake up, right? That was like a good wake up call, I believe, for a lot of us. Man, what a timely, timely word.